Beautiful. Beautiful. Ted Jones World Podcast. Guys, as we are releasing this tonight, we have the Ted Jones Comedy Show. Before we get into this episode, we have a very special guest today. But guys, check the link in this YouTube video. Get to the Ted Jones Comedy Show at the Moxie Hotel tonight. Jared Waters. What's up, bro? What's Thanks up, dude? Me. How are you? Good I'm to see swell, you. man. Bro, people are... Studio. People, yeah, bro. You're in the studio, dude. People are talking about the legend of how many... Uh, shows you did this year or excuse me rather in 2022 2022 it was care like, to share the number for everyone it was a thousand and thirty six thousand and thirty six shows but uh aaron berg told me he's done that a couple times <laughs> i was actually talking um on the last podcast about his i guess special 25 sets on 25 amazon sets. prime what's the most amount of sets you've done in a night i've done 10 but i i was looking at it and i was like there's a way there's a way it could be broken 25? I think so. Well, you'd start at like 4.30, right? Well, on I think Saturday, that like the did. way, I mean, you know, the more, the more, think about the summer, the more clubs you get past it, then the summer shows, everyone does park shows and stuff like right, that. Right, right. It could, it could be done again. It could be done. Well, leave it know. to you to potentially break <laughs> it, bro. Jared, so I see you literally everywhere. Yeah. And um, you and I haven't spoken that much, man, but I've just heard high praises about you from like every comic, bro. So you're out here. Are you a New York native? You from New York originally? No, nah, I'm uh, I'm from Tampa, Florida, by the way of North Carolina. Now, my dad was in the military, so he bounced around. So Florida's like my home base. That's where like where my heart is in Tampa. Do you feel that like bouncing around from school to school helped you network and become oh, such a good networker? Yeah, it helped me. It helped me so much. And like like growing up, you didn't think it works until like now you realize you're always meeting people totally. and you realize, especially with New York, nobody's from New York. Everyone's from another place. You know, so it's just like that's how I connect all the comics. Like, all these, all these boys are from Atlanta. These comics are from San Francisco. I know like the beats, how they tell jokes. All the Boston guys have like this, like old school Boston comics have this thing where they pace the stage a lot, and the newer ones have the thing where they do like ah, they have that little thing, and like the Brooklyn comics have that ah, they have like a certain laugh. So like I'm always just paying attention, like where people are from, like how they tell the jokes. Like everybody from Florida, we all do misdirections. That's what we're big on. Everybody from Tampa's misdirections. All the Orlando guys are more act outs and stuff like how, that. How do you mean misdirections? Explain that. So like every, so just, there's like a misdirection. I mean like you, it's like a big story. And at the end, there's a, a misdirection you oh, never totally. see. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. And you had that's, no idea that was coming in, that punchline. That's what we're all, most of us all in Tampa, I know is we all have like all misdirections. So I moved to New York City when I was six weeks old. And I think. Six, in, six weeks old. Yeah, dude. Oh, so, I think, so I think in general, like being a good networker and being able to talk to just everyone and anyone is like a very New York thing. So I think that that was the vibe that you gave me. Well, I thought New Yorkers don't speak to anybody. But well, like, you know. So that's like, also well, true. So. Keep, like, keep your head on mind and like you kind of focus in on what you want to do, which is. What but I know doing, my bro? neighbors, my neighbor, I know all my neighbors, like when people try to steal my packages, they let me know like, hey, we saw a guy taking a package. So like they're like older people in the part of Harlem. I live like a lot of people from like Florida. They're all from Florida, Texas, North Carolina, Caribbean people. But like most of the people I met the New Yorkers, I learned the New York beat is like the way people tell jokes. And it's just like being welcoming. Does that make sense? Like in the South, we always grew up speaking to everyone who walks in a room. My uh, grandmother actually grew up in Oxford, North Carolina. So my great grandpa had a tobacco farm. So anytime we went down there, like he was a, a pretty important figure in Oxford, North Carolina. Uh -huh. So I saw a lot of like the farm life, country life kind of. And then also being from the city, it was just a, it was definitely so different, you know, just between the two. There was a thing in North Carolina. Remember when they started like taking the tobacco out of like the cigarettes or whatever. 
And uh, I remember this white girl. I went to, when I went to school in East Carolina. This girl goes, "You see you the pirates." Yeah, that's where I went to school. At this girl goes, this girl goes. Her dad, her dad was dropping off at school, and she's like, "Yeah, tobacco, all that smell." He goes, "You smell that sugar? That's the smell of money. That's what it is. That's <laughs> Dude, how you the smell crazy. of money." Also, to think about like how reliant my I guess my grandmother's family was on that tobacco yeah. money and like how bad it turned out for society and it just like it, I don't even I don't know if they were put if they started putting more additives in it was it. like the nicotine right the nicotine yeah. made it so bad but like, that was like but that was like the natural part of the tobacco and then I think the additives over time Philip Morris just put in a little rat poisoning <laughs> you know like keep, keep the people coming back those Carolinas man those tobacco ones and then I just met like a whole bunch of just rich agricultural people right and it's amazing because I went to school in like 07, 08 when I was in college. So they were like, their parents weren't used to like black people who didn't play football. So that's why they're just uh, like, okay. this little guy, does he work out? Is he on the football team? So actually, he's just a nice guy from the Netherlands. <laughs> like where? So you be you were bouncing around a lot throughout your childhood. Did that include high school as well? Like high your dad's school, still yeah. going all Two over the place? Schools, yeah. How much or how long was the longest time that you spent at a school growing up? Sure, maybe uh not that long, two to three years. That and, that, and that two forced you to just become friends with everybody. Make you friends faster yeah, or just yeah. like feeling vibes immediately. Sometimes you could just feel when someone doesn't want you around. I was like, oh, yeah. Or being the new kid all the time. You know, did you, when, did you mind being the new kid, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you have yeah, to. That's like a weird I mean, feeling. It, once I understood, like when my dad took us to Japan, I was like in eighth grade going on ninth grade. No, I was going to eighth grade. That's when I finally found people who were just like me. Like that was the first time I lived on like an Air Force base. Like we were in Japan. In Japan, we lived in Tokyo. We Did lived you go to like an Americanized school? Man, we lived on the base, so it was like we went to America. But I met nothing but Americans who bounced around their whole lives, so they weren't effing with you when you first came in. They were like welcoming, like, "Hey, what's up? We're from uh, Missouri. We're from this place." I'm like, "What?" They don't really have homes because they're like, "We don't know where we're from." But my grandparents live here, so I finally found like like the X Men. I finally found like all these mutants. And we were all cool. Everybody was like into Dragon Ball Z. Everybody wasn't like nerdy. No one was trying to beat up the new kid because it's just like we all were the new kid. Right. So it was like a more welcoming society. And like everybody all bonded because, you know, there'll be a kid like sad because his dad's gone for a year. And like, well, I just went through that. So we all knew how to connect with each other. Was this in Tokyo? Tokyo. Dragon did, you ha did you have a tough time making friends outside of that school, though? Cause, or did you learn how to speak Japanese no, pretty I quickly? Learned, I learned. That's so everywhere we went, my dad made us like learn the language and the Let's greetings. Go. So, we so how always, many languages are you at right now? I know a lot. Like, it did be like when I'm at Broadway Comedy Club, like when they're like, oh, they're from the Netherlands. Like, oh, throw me up. I can do it. <laughs> they're from Germany. Come on. I You're can like, do it. Weed? Freaking weed is legal? Poland. I freaking I lived in, I was in Poland for a while. So like every other country, he would just take us because my dad was, you know, he's a country dude from North Carolina. So he wanted us to see the world. You know, so he was just always like, all right, we're going to Spain. We're going to Mallorca. I was like, all right, freak, let's go. Let's do it. Or we're going here. So he would just take us all around. And then when we got like teenagers, we would just go on our own. So being from North Carolina, you think of North Carolina like as a, you know, place where people from the country live, you know, a lot of country land. Did Michael Jordan set everybody's standards super high to like get away from North Carolina and become an international person? <sighs> I don't I don't know, like my brother claims his ties to North Carolina, but for me, like me and my sisters, we're like, we're like, we're not from, like Florida's the longest place I ever lived. Like Tampa, Florida's like the longest place I ever lived. That's where my wife at. But I think my for my dad in North Carolina, he was from Trenton, North Carolina. So That's where's, in Jones where's that? County. Okay. So there's a population of like a thousand people. Like Damn. it's not that many people. So him going to the Air Force was a really big deal. 
him leaving not wanting to be there was like the biggest deal ever. So like I didn't understand it until I got older, just like, oh wow, like he doesn't want to come back here. <laughs> but he was appreciative of like his humble beginnings. But like every big event he had in life, he made me and my brothers and my sisters be there. Like I remember pinning his freak when he turned major. I remember I pinning that up there. Like, yo, that's freaking cool. Your freaking dad turned major. I was like, yeah. But like kids in the South didn't understand because like my dad was gone for a year. I'm like, yeah, your dad cheated on your mom. He left her. I'm like, what? I was like, my dad's coming back home. Yeah, my dad said the same thing, man. He ain't coming back. They got a divorce. Like, no, my dad literally is <laughs> is in Bahrain right now. And they're like, no, 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 your dad's not out there. So like when I was around other people, I understood like everything he accomplished, he accomplished with his kids. So like I remember him putting on like Lieutenant Colonel. I'm like, oh, freak that. I remember like him getting on the base. I'm like, yo, turn back around. That dude didn't salute you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Turn it back so you around. Got super like, into it. Were you ever going to join the army? It's a thought process in your I head. I mean, it thought like most of all my boys are all in the Air Force people. I was like, going to ask I, if any of your family All my friends, friends are. Right. All I was the only one that just didn't. I had a beard too when I was young. So I was like, I didn't want to cut my beard. But like that was in his head. Like, just join the military. Join the military did four you years. To, did you go to college? Went to college, East Carolina. ECU, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, I went to the ROTC building and I was like, nah. Like, it's just like, I just always knew I wanted to do stand-up. Like, I always knew that. Really? Always. Like, even when I was, like, 16, I would go to, like, a little Dutch open mic, and they'd be like, nah. So, so how long were you in the Netherlands for? Netherlands for, like, maybe four or five years. And how old were you at that time? From 14 to 19. Pretty transformative 14 and years. 19. 14 and 19. Took, well, 15, I was trying to say 15 to, like, 20, and then... Tokyo from 13, 12 to like 15. Well, when you were 18, though, you went back to the States to go to Eastern Carolina or did you go later? I was later? 17 when I went to college. So okay. I was 17 going to college. So like, I was like a big cultural adjustment. Yeah. Like going back, back down to the South and like dealing with like racism that I forgot about because like in Europe, everyone's just happy that you're an American. Like, what's up? You're like a P. Diddy. You're like cool. So like getting back there, I was like, oh, frick, I got to go through this again. Or I was just like realizing like, oh, I. I didn't know what I looked like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I always knew I was a black dude. You know what I'm saying? But it was just like, it was subtle. It was like different type of racism in Europe compared to the racism back down south. You talk about the, the cultural shift. Being in the Netherlands and having like all these smoke shops and really the only place in the world where you can like smoke weed and it's yeah. all good. How different was like, were people's attitudes and people's overall general behavior throughout the day between like, Netherlands and North Carolina like how different was it even just like talking to people at the grocery store Dutch people do not give an F about anything is that you think it's because of the weed I think yeah, I think it's because everything's free everything is legal everything is legal oh really everything oh, I remember being in high school and they're like stuff. shrooms shrooms in a vending machine <laughs> at school I mean not at school but just like <laughs> our school had a smoking section you can smoke weed in high school you could do whatever you want it had a smoking section in school so I remember just being outside and there were people who did, I was, this first time I ever met people who didn't play sports. I'm like, what the frick are these guys doing? Just sitting out here smoking cigarettes. I was like, oh, they had a, like a smoking section because it was an international school. It was wasn't, it for cigarettes or for weed or just smoke whatever you want? smoke whatever they wanted. It was good. So it was people just, were just rolling up. People were just sitting there. It was like more like Germans and like hipsters and stuff like that. But they, right. they went to school to a 13th year. So, so like Canadians okay. had to do a 13th year. Germans had to do a 13th year. So you going to Eastern Carolina, though, when you were 17, you must have been super young. Because like if they're doing 13 years in right. the Netherlands, weren't they 19? Yeah, huh. they were. F, yeah. So like I so was you had like, to grow up faster, too, a little bit. Bro. Facts. My mother, I grew up faster because my mother, she was my father bounced around a lot. So she had two boys first 
me and my brother 16 months apart. And then my sisters are like really close apart. But she didn't want to stay home with me as a baby because she's like, this guy, baby's kind of wild. So she convinced like this preschool teacher. She's like, hey, can he just go to preschool? And then you just hold him back again. And then she goes, he's too smart. I can't have him in preschool because he's freaking getting all the questions right. Just move him to kindergarten. So I was always like a year older. So it was just like sports, everything else. It was just like, I'm like fighting with the next. So when everyone's going through their puberty changes, I'm like, I got to freaking live harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know You're like, I mean? where's the hair on my legs? I got to grow it. I think I was like in sixth grade when I was like, everybody's getting girlfriends. I was like, look, aquatically, I'm doing good. You know, right, I'm right, supposed right, to be right. in fifth grade. So this is sixth grade. I'm all right. Yeah, dude. And also, I remember when I was like 13, I was always like chasing the older girls. Now yeah. it's like it's the reverse. <laughs> you know what I mean? As long as she's 18, dude. Right. So in, in China, I know that when you're born, you're one years old. Okay. Is there is there any sort of I don't think so. I think older like when you're born in Japan or China's the only one that does it, I guess. I probably maybe that was like China. Like in Japan it was more like uh Yeah, what were the manners like like growing up in Japan? Dog, everybody was so welcoming, so sweet, and it's kinda unique. I can understand if a Japanese person does not like American people like besides Hiroshima. You know what I mean? Like Americans in like foreign countries, we have three strikes. Meaning that you get three strikes, whatever you do, whatever's bad, they'll send you back, right? But it was just like, they had to deal with like teenagers on the train. They had to deal with like us partying, doing the most wildest stuff. You mean Americans? Americans all over the world. That's why they loved Canadians because they just peed in the street. They weren't like fighting and stuff like that. So like Americans, we're like listening to like just blasting like little John on the train and yeah. stuff like this blast. They're just looking at us and we're just like dapping them up and stuff like that. But they were so into like nineties hip hop. Like you just meet like a Japanese dude. I'm like, I'm not battling him in breakdancing. He probably is a legit breakdancer. Yeah, and then he just freaking just does, doing all this other stuff. But they were more like, they were like living their dream meeting us because they saw about us on TV. Yeah. Then when they finally met us and they ruined Dragon Ball Z for me. Why? Because I got there, I was like, yeah, because like, I was there 2004. I was like, you remember uh, freaking Goku, da, da, da. And this guy goes, he brings me a tape, and he goes, it's over. I was like, what do you mean it's over? Series done. And now it's like and the he Pokemon just gave me the craze. whole thing. He's like, that's oh, how wow. it ends. I was like, what? And he goes, my parents watched this. I was like, your parents watched this. <laughs> that's how like far ahead Japanese anime was so far beyond us. Like in the 90s, they completed the whole series. When you were there living, did you start to see American brands take over? Like McDonald's come in. Fubu was here. Yeah, there's McDonald's everywhere. There's McDonald's. There's like a KFC. There was a, I don't know that I've seen Burger King, but they had a lot of, it's like, it was very good American. So did you notice uh, like the citizens of Japan getting like a little bit heavier, eating more shit, like slowly over the evolution of American Baseball was really huge. Baseball and football, American football was really huge. So when we played football, we played against like the international Japanese teams. We would play against uh, like semi-pro teams and stuff like that. So you see that, you know, they're like sumo wrestlers and stuff like that. But it was just like very Asians of like fat, not so many fat people, but it was like New York City. It's like a big 14 million (laughs) people out there. So it like varied from like skinny to like fat. How is the subway system in Japan? I've seen videos like on Instagram and TikTok. They legitimately have a guy with a stick like pushing everyone into the subway cart. Is that legit how it works there? When every, what, they, I remember them being like just technology. And do you know what I'm talking about? Like, have I know you're talking like about. That? But it was, it was never, we never went like at rush hour traffic because we were in school. So when we went, it was like six o'clock, seven o'clock partying and going down to Rapungi and like club and stuff like that. that. Like downtown Rapungi? Yeah, Rapungi is like the largest, to this day, the largest club district in the world. It's like a strip of clubs. 
And they didn't know what black people, they didn't know what Americans aged like. So they would just let us in. They didn't care. They never carted us or anything. Is it 21 over there too or 18? Maybe 18, but they, I didn't, they never carted me. They just let me in. They're like, oh, Americans, go inside there. Like, they're, they're the dancers. I want to show you the culture. So we get inside there. But, like, usually just we would always get lost because some people are like, the, all the words look similar. So, like, we need to get off at, uh, okay, let's three stops. So we didn't have no. Oh, damn. It was before, like, Google Maps or anything else. So you had to learn how to read Japanese. You had to learn how to read Japanese. How different to, is Japanese than other It's so Asian hard. They, they read, well, I don't, Like Hebrew? Yeah, they read, like, Hebrew, right to left. And it was just like, you're looking for a specific symbol. Like, all right, we need to get off at this stop. And we're just, like, counting the stops. So we always just, like, count the stops. So we would do that. Then we met a lot of missionary kids, kids who were just like, I don't know. We met these kids from high BA. They're like missionaries who've been out there since they were like two years old. And just, just regular white kids that speak like Japanese that were just missionaries. What were they preaching? They were preaching the, the word of Christ. <laughs> they were, they were, they were, who is it? they were ministers and they were meeting us and we, they met us cause we're like religious. Black people were very religious, but they were like, didn't understand our type of religion. Cause we're like Baptists and gospel and stuff like that. And like my friends are like talking to them about stuff they can't relate to. Like, yeah, man, you think Jesus would be sad at me? I bring a chick to the crib and she got on her. <laughs> and then this guy's like, first of all, I don't want to talk to a girl who has a crib at her house. And then we're just like, yo, yo, we talking about cribs <laughs> like the house. Cribs. But they've been in Japan so long that they didn't understand like us. Did you find yourself bringing any of Japan back to the States or bringing any of the States influence to Japan or the Netherlands, your friends or friend Doug, group? I remember, I remember, yeah, because I remember in the Netherlands, you would ask a woman, to dance you know like you would ask them and then when i got to the south i was like i asked this little nerdy dude at my school I was like yo how can you keep dancing with all these girls what are you doing like what are you saying he goes i just stand behind them i said that's it he goes yeah it's like grinding he's just like yeah he's like all you gotta do is stand there they'll dance on you i was like oh free just grabbed her finger i was like oh oh, oh. it's like there it is there it is. so i was like oh wow because these girls are like, so polite to ask me to dance and i was like yeah yeah then i realized it was like the netherlands thing or like since prostitution was legal in the netherlands a lot of chicks didn't like you to take them out you know, so they oh, would just take like a blurred you line. You didn't know if she, she didn't take, know if she was getting paid or not. Well, they just it's like a culture thing. They, they would take me out a lot. So these chicks would take me out on dates or you pay your way. I pay my way. We're going Dutch. OK, that's where it's at. That's where the Dutch well, comes from. Me, yeah. So they was just like they're very like I tell you all the time. You're not a, if you're a black man outside of America, it's a different type of lifestyle. It's a different type of just people wanting you because this is my uncle told me, Sarah, my uncle's in the, all my uncles in the military. He told me the story. He said that during the war, they're very racist. So they pushed all the black people to the front lines. So when the black dudes came to Europe, when they saw the black people, they knew they were liberated. When they saw the black people, they saw these giant Afro pics and all these flavors. So they were banging all the women, right? So they're banging all the women because they weren't used to like white chicks being nice. What was this? Like the Hiroshima times? This when is like, mean? this is everywhere a military base was, black people were there. Like my uncle t did the Korean War, he stayed in Thailand, and he told me the story that the white officers would tell all the, before the black dudes came, they would tell all the Asian women that you got to get up at 12 o'clock in the morning, don't sleep with a black dude at 12 because they turn into monkeys, right? So that's what they were telling people during the war. So my uncle told me the story. This when my, my aunt wasn't there. He said that he was, he said that he was with this chick, and uh, he said he met her at a club, they're hanging out, it's like 11.30, He's, he's like 10, 30, 11, 30, and then she just gets out of the bed. And she's like standing next to the window, and he goes, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And she goes, I'm just, I just want to see you turn into a monkey. I know you're about to turn into a monkey. And he goes, what? 
She goes, all the white officers told us that you guys turn into monkeys. And my uncle goes, yeah, we turn into a monkey, but the tail isn't in the back of the body. It's oh, in the front let's of the go. body. Oh, let's go. And he told me, like, during, that was, like, myths. Like, a lot of people would spread rumors that, like, these black dudes are everything else. So it made, instead of scaring people off, it made more women curious about what black people were like. So they all just had, like, dreams. So you would just see all these, we call them war babies. You would see this beautiful black mix with Dutch or this black French, everything else. Like, I know my... My grandfather told me his best friend, Harold, has like 17. He's like kids all over France. He's like, yeah, we, we couldn't wait till we got out in Europe. Ooh, these women were throwing it at us. So it was just like being an American is such a cool thing, you know. Like people don't understand like having that blue passport is something different because hip-hop, culture, everything else. They're just more, they're in all the TV shows about us. So when they finally met like Americans, it was just like you had another credit, you know. It's like being yeah. a comic with a credit. It was just like being in Europe. It was like, yo, that's a freaking American. Yo, what the, what's what's Florida like? They would just yeah, ask me about Florida. What's what, what's New York City like? I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't and, know. and it feels like being in New York, you know, you really just feel like. Whatever. That, yeah, you feel you, you don't give a shit about it. But then looking out onto everyone else, everyone wants some part of American right. culture. Everyone's influenced by some part of American culture when. If you think about it, like on the whole, like, am I really influenced by Japanese culture? Maybe, you know, I like the, uh, I like to eat sushi, you know, taking your shoes off when you walk in. There you go. That's, that's something that like, I wouldn't think about fully, but yeah, taking your shoes off. I remember taking our shoes off or like, and you have to like set it straight, right? You have to be very like, forget me. (laughs) No, you're good. Your your shoes are straight. I heard Jackie Chan say that. He's like, my son walk in, no discipline. One shoe here, one shoe there. It's like a, re- a respect. They're very big on respect. So it was just like, I remember this this Japanese bus driver sat me down one time and he's all like, stay calm. School, focus. So like you, on the way to school, like like everyone's calm reading. don't focus. <laughs> That's what it's just like minimal, minimal words. He told me, he's like, you don't focus. But it was like being around. So sometimes I forgot, there's a guy named Freddie Sheffield. He's a comic and he's black and Japanese and he speaks fluent Japanese. But when he does it on stage, people think he's making fun of Japanese people. And I was like, no, his mom is Japanese. This is exactly how they sound like. So my friends, I grew up learning Japanese phrases and stuff like that. So I can have like little conversations. So people are like, I was like, no, I'm not trying to do an accent. This is just how I grew up. I grew up with Japanese people. Like all my homies, this is the first time I ever met Filipinos. So like when you leave the South, like there's black, white, Mexicans. And they're like, uh, I remember we had Jewish football players, but they, would leave, they wouldn't play during Shabbat. I'm like, what's up with them? They just, we was like, they didn't play during Shabbat. What happened? Like, they could play in another school. Like, now they're actually religious. They're, they're, actually, they're actually religious. But I remember meeting like a black and Korean girl for the first time and just like staring at her. And I was like, what? I was like, what are you? And she goes, what? I was like, what, where do they make you from? And she was, her name was Jennifer. She was like, I, I was like, I was like, can we date? She goes, well, I don't even know you. I said, like, yeah, but we got to be together, man. Like, I was like meeting just all these different strands of culture. Right. So coming to New York for you must have just been like, all right, here's everyone I've ever met. Yeah. So like even college was nothing to me. Like when people were like, when you get to college, it's going to change your life. I was like, what? Everyone goes home at 2 a.m. Like I used to go home at 7 a.m. Right, right, right. I remember party in the Netherlands. My mom texting me saying, "You need to be home in thirty minutes." I was like, "I'm in Belgium right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not coming home." Right. Did you ever get that tuna at the market in Japan? I'm allergic to seafood. Ooh, so that must have been tough in Japan a little bit, right? It was. I remember my uh, my this Puerto Rican girl I was dating. I made her upset. Her family tried to poison me with tuna and my macaroni. I remember that day. 
Tuna and macaroni. Yeah, that's how I knew it was a setup. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never make her upset again. <laughs> when did you first come to New York and then move here? So I came to New York first my freshman year. My sophomore year of college, my freshman year of college, I met this dude named Stephen Henderson. He's a dude from Brooklyn. And he goes, Jared's a comedian. I used to host a lot of step shows at college. And like, I didn't know how what, to. What do. are step shows? What do you mean? So, uh, so there's white fraternities and black fraternities. Black fraternities are, uh, I forgot what they're called, but they're like black fraternities. They step like step show people like doing like that. Yeah. So there would be step shows and I would like Is host like them. Like drumline? Kind of like drumline, but with people <laughs> just stepping without mu- okay, music. Okay. So I would host step shows. Any event I would just host because I wanted to do stand-up. I, there, had no, there was like no comedy scene. There were like people who did improv, but I was like, I'm a stand-up comic. Like I'm moving to, I'm moving to college and just whatever. I was like, my goal was like do one year of college and make my mom happy and just move to New York. That was my whole goal. So I get there and my buddy from New York goes, I live in Brooklyn. I said, like, oh, wow, you know there's a lot of comedy in Brooklyn? He goes, why don't you come to Thanksgiving with me? I was like, all right. So that was like my sophomore year. I was 19 and his sister goes, uh, I can find you a comedy show. I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, I just got you on a show. I'm like, what? And it was John Laster. It was John, no John Laster. The first time I ever got on stage, like in New York, I was like 19, super young. Like looking back, I was pretty well-known comedian yeah. for those of you who don't know. But this is when he just won like stand up for diversity or whatever. And it was on Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking like in my mind, I was like, this is New York city, man. It's about to be 6,000 people all over the thing. And it's like 25. people. It's like maybe 20 people. It started out like six it started with like three people, but by the end, it was like 20 people came. Where, where was it? Some some abandoned place in Brooklyn. I don't remember. I remember I walked up like, I don't know where it was, but I know he kept making fun of like how abandoned the place was. But he goes up and his buddy introduces me. And I didn't know who he introduced because he goes, this next comic, he plays all over colleges, man. He's opened up for da-da-da. I was like, who the freak is he talking? Give it up for Jerry Waters. And I, Jerry Waters. <laughs> and I was just so nervous. And I still got the tape. Now I had on like little digital camera recording it. And then after that, it was the first time in my life where I saw like funny women being like the little stick in the room. Like I felt like like I didn't belong there, you know. Like everybody was super hilarious. I mean, like Drew Fraser was killing. I mean, all these names were like, man, these guys are super great. And then when I got back to college, I was like, okay, now I know I need to go to New York. Whatever I need to do, I need to go to New York, and that's where comedy lives. How much time did you spend at uh, ECU? Did you graduate or no? I graduated? Yeah, I graduated. Oh, okay. Went so back down to Florida. Before, yeah, yeah, I went back down to Florida. Uh, Tampa Tampa yeah, that's where my that's where my people live how was that being in Tampa dog Tampa was the best years of my life dog yeah okay right? why do people talk so much shit about Florida in general and I think Tampa it's just too? It's, it's they're, they're just making fun of they're just making fun of the, the wild Florida stuff man. that happens you know it's just the wild stuff that happens <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I met one of my best friends as a dental assistant. He was just my dental assistant. He's like rubbing my teeth. And he Let's goes, go. he goes, dude, like you got he, nice teeth. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> freaking a crown in there. I think he goes, uh, dude, he said, dude, you look like, are you a soccer dude? He's like a Spanish dude. I was like, yeah, man, freaking messy. He goes, dude, let's party, bro. Let's freaking, let's, let's just party a little bit. And I was like, all right, cool. Just so, party a little bit. So we hang out, we hang out. Then I introduced all his like his buddies and these became like my close friends. And then I met all the comics there and they became my buddies. Oh, so okay. like Tampa is such like a home, homey place. You know, people are wild, but they have like a respect for like home. So you, know? you, you went to Tampa after you graduated ECU, you were probably like what, well, 21, 22? So my, okay. my dad, my dad, he retires. My dad retires. In Tampa? He retires in Tampa. He gets stationed from the Netherlands to Tampa, back to Tampa, goes to Florida, and we're in Florida. But every other two years, we go to Florida. Every time we vacation, it's to Florida. Every time my cousin's living in Florida, Titusville, Florida, so like Florida, all my family's out there. So Florida, North Carolina, Georgia. So we go to Tampa, and then uh, 
I'm just home. You know what I mean? I kept visiting. We're finally there. And, like, when I'm off on breaks, we're just going to the Tampa Improv, meeting comics and stuff like that. But Tampa's known for because it's, like, it has massive strip clubs, massive party life, and it's a mixture of a lot of people moving from up north mixed with a lot of people who are from Florida, and it's just, like, a multi-culture because there's a giant Air Force base there. So everyone's from, like, a different place. So it's a very international city. Was there a time when you were in Tampa where you're like, all right, I'm ready to shoot to New York? No, I knew. I knew. Uh, I remember Bobby Kelly would come down to Tampa a lot. And one time I listened to a podcast. And I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him some cigars because I heard he likes cigars. And he goes, this is the freaking sweetest, ugliest thing some black kids ever get. He was just like making fun of me. And I gave it to him. And I was, oh, I was, I was uh, hosting for him that night. So I would drive him around. And then he goes, I was like, you want to go anywhere? Because like, that was like the big thing as a comic. Like A lot of the older comics hate hosting because they don't want to drive the comic around and take him from the airport. But for me as a young comic, that was the best thing because I could just talk to him and ask all these questions. So he answered all my questions and I asked him about New York. He gave me some like really bad advice. He was just like, go to Queens, get an apartment for $300 live off bread and peanut butter. I'm like, that's not accurate. That's, I was like, that's, that's, that's not accurate. But like in Tampa, there's a ceiling, you know, there's a ceiling because you can only, you can only do so much. You, you know? feel like you hit it though before you left or not? I hit, I hit the ceiling. My buddy, his name is JB ball. He was the first comic that did just for laughs from Tampa. He was actually, it was Robbie Schloick. Robbie Schloick. You ever heard of that dude? Yeah, Robbie Schloick. Robbie Schloick is like our Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was the first comic that ever left Tampa for us to live and talk about it. There were two guys, Robbie Schloek and Scotty Lavelle. Scotty Lavelle runs a show called Comedy Commune that we run together. But he was in Tampa, and he would come back. And I was like, dude, that's Mark Marin on your show? And he goes, yeah, dude. I freaking started my own show in New York City. Like, why would I waste my time doing open mics if I could just build a great show? So we knew him, and then we knew Scott. We knew, uh, we knew uh, Robbie Schloek. And Robbie, we came to t- me and my boy Cam came to New York to visit, and he took us out for, like, pizza and he, we went to one of his shows, and I was like, man, this guy's freaking, like, legit. Like, he's freaking, everybody's, like, dapping up Robbie and stuff. And he told us, he goes, it's going to be, like, the hardest move. He goes, but it's going to be the best move. So after I knew that, I was like, okay, I knew this. And then after I worked with Bobby again, he goes, you should wait until you're that guy. This headliner, then you should go. And then I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go now. He goes, okay. And then the club owner comes up to me and goes, uh, when are you going to leave? I was like, I'm leaving in August. He goes, really? I said, like, yeah, because a lot of comics talk about leaving Florida, but they leave and keep coming back. But I was like, when I leave, I'm, I'm, I'm like, my, my dad's military bound. When I have a mindset, I'm gone. And he goes, I don't think you're ready, kid. It isn't just him effing with my head. And I was like, I don't care if you think I'm ready. I'm gone. He goes, I can bet on a dog like that. So what he did was he lined up every time a comic came to, like, Florida, he let me feature for him so I could talk to him and stuff. So then when I got to New York, I just knew a lot of headliners, which didn't benefit me at all because you got to meet comics who are on your level and stuff like that. But, like, I finally hit the mark. I was like, okay, four years, I'm leaving. Five, I think it was five years in Tampa, then I left. I left. I left, got here in 2016 when Trump was elected. I remember everybody was crying on the street. And I remember just being from Florida, just like, dog, Trump is going to win. Everybody, I remember everyone at Apple Mike's like, what the freak is wrong with you? And I was like, have, I drove through this country. I drove throughout the whole thing. I was like, he's going to win by a long shot. Yeah. And I remember everyone was crying on the street. <laughs> I remember people were crying. And then I saw all these homeless people. Like, I remember... uh Hillary Clinton had a party at Javits Center or something like that. and she, Yeah, she thought her victory party. Yeah, like Javits Center. And when they that. lost, they just left all the food there. They were just throwing food on the street. And all these homeless people were picking up like trays and be like, man, Donald Trump left us all this food. <laughs> 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 they left us all this food. 
but it gets to a point like in Florida where you're just gonna you're either gonna be like a headliner, right, and just beat the road up a lot, or I was like, I gotta play in the big leagues. Like I knew when I that feeling I felt when I was 19 of just like these were all the best comedians are. The be, like I remember just everyone being funny New, in New York. In New York, yeah. when I was there at 19, like, and I wasn't a comic comic gig. I was still just like in college, like you know, goofy footing around and just doing it every two months or whatever. But when I got back to Tampa, I met this guy named Dean Napolitano, this Italian dude, and he did two hours in front of my family. Two hours in front of my family. My, there's six of us. It was us and another family, just two people. And everyone didn't expect the show to start. They were waiting on us to start the show. So it was just like we did like a, you know those little whodunit dinners or whatever like that? Sure. It's one of those whodunit dinners. And after I was like, there's a comedy show afterwards. And my dad's like, I don't stay. My dad's like, I don't stay for no comedy show. I was like, oh, can we watch it? And he goes, all right, Jared, he'll stay. And the guy goes, you guys going to stay? He's like, yeah. And we did the comedy show. And he did two hours. He made my whole family laugh. And I was like, Man, this guy did two hours? And then I, he goes, and he goes, what do you do? Is my dad's like in the military. He goes, well, what does your son do? He goes, my son's a comedian. He's trying to be a comedian when he gets older. And he goes, really? And he goes, well, email me. So like I emailed him and like throughout college, he would write me, he goes, you should do this, you should do this. So when I got out of college, I was like, I got to go to Florida. I got to go back. I got to gotta stay in Florida. That's where all the funny people who can do two hours worth. So I thought all the people who could do a long time lived in Florida, but all the people who were super funny were lived in New York. So that was like my basis. I said, like, I'll get stronger in Florida and then go to New York. That so was my plan. Did he turn out to be a pretty big mentor for you? He, wa- he, he was. He was a really sweet guy. He like, he helped me out. But like when you get... I noticed, like, as you get older, like, no one's ever going to spoon feed you. You got to show them that you want it, you know? So, like, it was, I realized he got, he was more proud of me when he saw I was on shows that he was on and didn't even know I was there. Did you have a supportive family in terms of pursuing comedy? Yes. Like, well, I think you, ta- like they, you talk about your dad being like, oh, my son wants to be a comedian when he's older. My dad started believing, like, when I left to go to New York. Like, they understood in Tampa because I would, uh, I worked at the church, so I would stay out all night, but I would make sure I was at church, like, setting everything up. And then, like, he's like, you're all late all the time, everything else. And I was stacking up all this money. And, like, when I got to New York, that's when he realized, like, all right, this is it. It took that for them to be like, all right, they see it. That's dope, dude. So, like, when you, like, once I, like, left and they realized, like, no, he's leaving, this is, this is it. Because in Florida, it's kind of like you could do stand-up and live a good life. Does that make sense? Like, a lot of my buddies in Florida, they live a really good life. Do they do some cruise ships type stuff? Some people do. Older comics do cruise ships, yeah. but a lot of them are, like, they got, they're big on TikTok and stuff like that. They've been on TV. So they you could beat the road up. Like, in Florida, you can make six figures doing stand-up, beating the road up and doing the South. But you're still betting on yourself, you know? And in New York, it's, like, looking for that hour special and then looking to do 1,070 shows. Or year. it's just, like, the net, like, everybody's good here. Yeah, everyone's good here and you had to change your I remember when I got to Florida I mean I got to New York I was just slow slow rhythm taking my time on stage until I realized these open mics are two minutes I got two minutes to try to make not even real people just comics laugh Yeah, and I used to be so frustrated thinking like man the freak what if, I don't know what's funny anymore it's, I know these jokes work I know these these jokes kill somewhere until I realized like oh I should change them faster oh I should just hit oh the crowd work work like if you're from Florida if you're from Texas you don't do crowd work at all like they teach you, don't do crowd work. Leave it for the headliner. You get them drink tickets out. You make sure you plug the dates and don't try to talk to the crowds because the crowds go crazy. So that's why people think Florida's wild because the crowds are like literally massive. There's a sign in my old comedy club at Size Place that goes, no woo when you're not Ric Flair because I used to have the crowds go, woo, 
give it up for the nature boy. And next thing you know, the whole night, the headlines, like, all these freaking people wooing the whole time. Love that. And then, and then the, the owner now goes, BT's like, Jared, I told you to stop freaking ruin. It's not a freaking wrestling ring. But just like learning the aspect of like comedy. But like I did the dumb mistake when I got to New York of just like struggling open mics. This dude named Brian McKenna, he goes, hey man, I did a, a club at Bananas Comedy Club like in Jersey. Jersey yeah. And then this guy goes, hey, you ever uh, been to Long Island? I was like, where's that at? Is that in New York? He goes, yeah, would you go? I was like, yeah, I'll do anything in New York. I, don't, I just want to get up, man. I'm not getting up like that. He goes, all right, well, come to Long Island. So I was all out in Long Island like my first year just doing all these Long Island gigs. Oh, wow. Like this Governor's Comedy Club. So that's why I met Matthew, the guy I do the show with. Matthew, I met him. I met all these Long Island comics, and we would just go back to the city. So I met like another group of people, but I would think it was, uh, I, his name is on. He looks like a redneck, but he's not at all. He looks like he's racist, but he's not. He has a joke about that. <laughs> he has a, she has a joke about that. But I remember we'd always see each other on the train, and he would go like, hey, you moved to the city, right? Why are you out here so much? And that resonated me so much. I was like, Why are you on Long Island so much? Yeah, that's what he kept saying. Like, why are you on the island so much? He goes, hey, Jason, Jason, uh, Jason Walters, Jason Salmon. Oh, I thought he was calling you, but Jason remember. Salmon. His name is Jason. I, I know, but I remember he goes, uh, he goes, you live. Well, that's the second time I seen you out here, buddy. And he's from Texas, so he's just like, we moved to New York City. We moved to fight in the city. How long are you gonna stay out here? And uh, that was like the best advice I got to be like, you, the more time you spend in New York City, the more time people can know you. Like, what's the freak of moving to New York and just beating the road the whole time? The weekends is where everybody meets people. The weekends is where you start bonding with people. You start finding your classic comedians and stuff like that. So I told myself, I was like, all right, I'm done. No road gigs, no anything else. I'm putting my feet down. But it was a blessing in the sky because I met D.C. Benny on Long Island. And we are just talking all these stories. Like, Dude, you've traveled around the world. You want to do my comedy show? I was like, where? He goes, at the cellar. And I was like, this guy's freaking pulling. I've heard so many people. And next you know, he, he calls me and we do it. So I'm freaking like, what the f You know how you walk inside there? I was like, oh, man, look at look, that. Look. I read about this. Yeah. And then it just made me realize, like, oh, man, it's just it's literally just 60 seats in there. It really showed me how small it was. And I was like, oh, it's just like being at another place. And then after that, it, like, gave me that motivation to be like, all right, I'm doing something. I was like, the, you ever seen Sonic when he's drowning? And that little air yeah, bubble goes, <laughs> It's like, so if you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega Genesis, like the music starts going really fast. Like, it's like going like that. And then like when he's about to drown, there's like air bubbles that pop up. And when he sucks the air bubble, he gets a new fresh, fresh leak on life. And that was my one was like, all right, I'm doing the right thing. So coming up in 2023, do you have any plans to potentially get out of New York and travel a bunch on tour, releasing your hour special? What does 2023 I think look like I've, for you? I, uh, that's when you're from, like, I'm a road comic, you know, like being in Florida, we beat the road up a lot. So like my goal now is more like just build, build Jared Waters up, put more clips out. I got to get out of that old phase of just like, I don't want to burn material, but just like letting the clips out, you know, getting more on TV, getting everything else. I think that'd be, I think the more you build yourself and get a platform, then the road would open up. You How know? do you feel about YouTube becoming more of a part of kind of everyone's stand-up ritual you know what i mean really needing to build your brand via youtube do you like youtube yeah i mean sometimes it's weird because like now i don't give an f because i when i was a teacher i was very like oh, i was like make sure but i was like man i remember this old dude told me, like you got to be my grandfather was like be what you are and live your life man oh, you, you know, mean instead of like tiptoeing around things that may be cancelable or something 
Yeah, until I realized, I think I was in like Israel. When I was in Israel, they sent me to Israel. You're talking about it, yeah. I was in Tel Aviv, and now I met all these Israeli comics, and they're like, man, just be be free, man. Just be say anything. Like, <laughs> that was insane. That literally sounds yeah, like them. Be free, like, man. Like, Lama Lo, why not? They kept saying, why not the whole time? I was like, I was telling them why. And then I realized, like, I've been at my, my job for like six years. They know who I am. Like, I'm not filthy, filthy, but like, eventually, Sometimes people are just worried about worth ethic. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like, how do you do all these shows and get up for work and everything else? And I'm like, I'm a freaking machine, you know? Sometimes they want to see how focused you are. But now I realize, like, dog, it's do or die. You know, not do or die, but it's just like, now is the time. Like, I told myself, I told Mark Norman, he was talking one time. I was like, listen, it's like 720, 720, 720. I was like, how the freak does this guy do 720? So that's two shows a day for 365 days, I presume, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's what he said. He was talking about that. But then I was like, even on podcasts, you can get up five times a night. And I was like, how do you get up five times a night? How do they do that? Until I realized the more you meet people, the more the relationships you build in the city, that's how it can happen. So then I was like, okay, 720. Then after I got to 800, I was like, I told my lady, I was like, freaking, if we, I was like, if we skip Christmas and stay here for Christmas, I can get another 50 spots. And then she started believing when it was like doing like that. I was like, dang, we're up to 900 now, 920. And next, you know, I was like, dang, it's a thousand. I think it was like tw- December 12th when I was counting. I was like, I said, dang, it's a thousand cents. She goes, really? I said, it's a thousand. We got a thousand. Then I just kept going to fill out the year. So I was like, I just want to, I want to see how far my class can do it, you know? Because I feel like everybody in comedy, especially in New York, you see the, the top of the food chain, you see the middle of the food chain, and then you just see the swamp. That's what I call it. Everyone without credits, everyone who got here on their own, everyone who's probably been to a couple festivals, we're all the ones fighting for spots. Knowing that we can get bumped at any time, knowing that you got to make sure that you do your best material because you don't know when you can work this club again, so you're always on, you're always on your, your performance, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, okay, when I go to these spots, I'm bringing my A games, I'll start my own show. I start my own show. This is the place I could work out stuff and work yeah. out material right. and build stuff like that. And then we started the park show, and that was the best thing that ever happened. Because we got all these, well, I think the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened to me. That was the best thing that ever happened in New York City for me personally. Did you move back to no. Tampa? You stayed here. Everybody left except me. That was the best part. Me, Julio Diaz. Dude, I remember seeing Jared I Schwartz. remember seeing Training Day and like you being the only show that was really out there. We're in, in the, the freezing snow. Yeah, dude. We're in the freezing snow. Me and little Matthew, my dog Matthew. And I realized that it's hard to stand out in New York City. It's freaking hard. There's 3,000 comics. Then there's another 10,000 that want to do it. Then there's people who just randomly just try it, right? So I realized that in the pandemic, everybody left. And there's like maybe 50 comics in the city. Out of those 50, I was one of those 50. And I had two of those shows. <laughs> I had, had two of those shows. So I noticed, I told everybody, I was like, well, I told the boys from North Carolina, this is the time to stay in the city. This is the time. I was like, were Michael, you telling them to come up? I was telling the people who were here already, get out of the house, whatever you're doing, and make a name for yourself. Get a park. I remember P.D. D'Abreu goes, everybody get a corner. Everybody can get a corner. Instead of coming here, everybody get a corner. And I just realized that Michael Che is literally out here Doing regular park shows. Sam J, everybody's out here. There's no reason yeah, Chris Red. Louis would stop by, yeah. Louis was sitting at a park one time. I was like, there's no reason for anyone to say in this pandemic that Jared Waters isn't funny. Bro, I think Adam Hamada may have told me that story. Was that your show that he was doing? What, when, he told me that he saw Louis C.K. like with a mask on in the park. It was it was during an outdoor show. 
I can't I know, remember I, if it I was seen yours him walking or in Queens one time. We tried to get. I think one time I was like, oh, can we get was it like that? We're trying to get everybody. But I just realized in this pandemic, it's so hard for comics. I used to ask, well, how the freak do you get there? Until I realized, like, oh, wow. It's only 50 comics. Everybody has to go to the same exact shows. All you got to do is just kill. And the people, your name's going to get passed around. And when the scenes opens up, more people start yeah. doing it. And I knew the class beneath me. Not beneath me, but the class coming up. So like a lot of the comics who were established already, since they did so many clubs, they didn't know where all the spots were. They were just like, I don't know where to go. I was like, oh, you need that. Come on. Here. I got a map of the swamp. These are all the people who do shows. Since 2016, have you seen comedy reach its peak maybe now in 2023? People being interested in it, even from maybe Japan, your old friends, or Tampa, or North Carolina? People getting more I, interested in what you're doing in your career? I think that comedy with the reels and everything else is just so much a comedy out there. Right, right, right. It's easy to consume. It's easy to consume comedy. And I've watched, I've watched comics live change. I watched Troy Bond become like, I remember he would just do his shows at Broadway. And now he blew up on TikTok and blew up everything else. Now after every show, it's a meet and greet. I've watched that. I watched it happen within like months. I watched my dog Julio Diaz be do open mics. I watched him drive two hours to see me in Long Island one time on a show to seeing him on Netflix. Like I'm inspired by just the people around me, you know, like I'm inspired by like just knowing someone who started like maybe a year who does a show now. That's what excites me. So like everybody, like I don't think there's no competition amongst anybody else because there's enough food for everybody. That's the it best part of it. raises the tide when everyone's yeah, doing Yeah, the swamp well. rises. Yeah. Look at it now. Like you could literally, you can get on YouTube and make your own special. Freaking Ali Siddiq has like a million people watching a special off of YouTube. So it's just like now I'm starting to see like anything is possible. So they had to get me out of my old archaic ways of just like, okay, F it, I'll drop a clip. All right, boom. Okay, maybe they've seen it before. Maybe they want to hear it again, you know? Because I do a lot of misdirection, so it's not a misdirection if you know where the joke is going. So I realized, like, man, when is a million people going <laughs> to, has a million people watched this joke before? No. Well, I think it also goes to kind of how you're doing, you know, th an average of three sets a night. You finish one spot, you go to the next one. You finish right. that next one, you go there. It's the same thing on releasing your clips, bro. It's like, yeah. you know, releasing one joke. Okay, that does well. Next one, maybe not so great. It's just the same thing. It's just a different kind of part in your brain. But realistically, it's the same thing. Sometimes it's just like that old school way of just thinking. I read a lot of books. I'm just like, man, maybe there's a way of meeting an agent, an agent, everything else until everyone's like, you got to build it on your own. Right. I think, I, I like, mean, it's a new time. We're all, yeah. yeah, we're all in the, you know, in the mindset frame of seeing like, oh, Mark Norman got 10 million views on his YouTube special. Okay, now that's something that we can do. We can chase. You know? But I do think there's a unique way of getting your name inside New York City. You can post as many clips as you want. There's a difference when someone sees you on the ground working. For sure. You know? So I was just like, I've got to be the hardest worker in the room, meaning that, okay, even if you don't know who I am, you've heard of me. You heard someone say Turbo. You don't know where it came from. He's like, who's that? Oh, that's Jared. Explain that, please, bro. Literally, because uh, I didn't know what Turbo was until recently. Uh, I'm, if you're down in the South, it's like a phrase that people used to say down South. Like, if you ever had a tractor, there's like a turtle mode, and then the next mode is a turbo mode. That's like the <laughs> highest mode. Yeah. It's like when you turn it into the overdrive. We used to say it in football, like, turn on the jets. Let's go, turbo. So yeah, like, like turbo we, mode. Turbo mode. We'd all Z call each other turbo every time else. N64. So, yeah. You say, yeah, you know, you remember. So it's, it's the same thing like that. So I just said, like, and sometimes people just start believing it. Like, I used to just dream about spots until I was like, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And then more people, when they see you running, 
more people start feeding that machine like, oh, freak, how many spots you get this week? All right, well, here, I'll do my show, do another one. I was like, okay, now everyone starts joining the party, you know, and everyone starts believing it's, really, it's reachable. I tell every comment, write down how many sets you do. You don't know how blessed you are. I remember only doing 100 sets my first year. I was like, now I was like, man, if someone told me they did 200 sets their first year in comedy, I was like, dude, that's a, that's a credit for me. I know a girl who did like, this dude told me, he goes, I did 460 sets last year. Wow. I said, post that, man. What you waiting for? Yeah. You did a thousand. I was like, we're not in competition with each other. So like being in New York City, knowing that there's a way of just having your name passed around. Like I didn't even know Aaron Berg knew me like that. I knew like we said hi and bye until he goes, yeah, everybody's telling me you did a thousand sets. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's dope. That's dope that, that you know. That's dope that you know, even though he's done like, you know, he could, he could, he could dwarf that anytime. But just knowing that it's something about being from, being in the city and doing something that people in the city respect. Freaking, that's me, man. That's just, that's that turbo mode hitting it to the next, that next level, next, next switch. And that goes for every profession, not just every comedy, profession, guys. man. Turbo just, mode. Jared, dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for Before having Before we me. get out of here, bro, yes. we're popping your Instagram up here. So uh, shout out your Instagram and maybe anything that's coming up in uh, January and February. And guys, check the link in this YouTube video. We're going to have Jared on a Ted Jones comedy show very soon. All right, what camera are I looking at? I'm just kidding. You're right. <laughs> Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's Mr. Waters, Mr. Waters. If you see, a, if you stand up, no, 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 we're popping it up. Oh, sorry, stand up comedy. <laughs> I was like, you really stand up? You're good, bro. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's Mr. Waters, Mr. Waters. If you see a black dude on a horse, that's me. Uh, if you're on TikTok, it's Mr. Waters. If you see a black dude on a horse, that's me. If you're on any social platform, Mr. Waters. If you see a black dude on a horse, that's me. <laughs> and if uh, you're listening to a podcast, my podcast is One Man, One Tree in a Hill. It's a podcast about being alone for your own thoughts. And when we're not alone for our thoughts, we review One Tree Hill episodes, how sad they are. And uh, that's it. Oh, and if you ever, every Wednesday night, and a story at Catch Bar until the sun comes up. We'll have a show every Wednesday at 7. And when the spring comes, we do the park show again. Chad Michael Murray. Chad Michael Murray. Shout out to Chad and Michael and Murray. <laughs> Absolutely. Jared, thank you Ted so Jones. much again. Who? Ted Jones. We will see you soon, my man. Good Guys, thanks you. so much for tuning in. Get to that comedy show tonight. <laughs> Peace.